Just what is authenticity? How do we know we're experiencing it in our daily lives? What are the moments in our life that have led us to a better understanding of who we are as people? These conversations and more happen right here on The Authenticity Experiment. I'm your hostess. My name is Megan Williams. I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Arizona, and I have spent my career helping people find their most authentic versions of themselves and live and grow inside of that authenticity. And now I get to share the stories of people who have taken their own pathway to authenticity. Just a general content warning, most episodes of the Authenticity Experiment have themes that can be considered triggering for some. Please listen at your own pace and understand that when people tell their stories, it's part of their healing journey. And by listening to the stories of others, we can feel less alone. However, if there is content in this episode that you find triggering, please consult with your mental health professional or reach out to me and I can provide you with resources in order for you to start coping with the stress that you may be experiencing in your own life. Hey everybody, welcome back to another conversation in the Authenticity Experiment. Um, you know, I put out a call to action on social media asking folks who might be willing to, to participate in what I'm doing. And there were several people that, you know, were very, very willing. And today I have one of those people with me. Um, and I always appreciate her willingness. Um, we've known each other for a few years and um, I've gotten to watch her walk through some processes and do some life changes and, and kind of step into who she wants to be when she grows up. And uh, it's super, super cool that I get to have this conversation with her today. So today I get to introduce you to my friend, Anna. Uh, Anna, would you like to tell people a little, little bit about who you are and, and you know, those kind of things? Sure. Um, so I, my name is Anna Rico, and I I'm so grateful that you put that call to action out. Um, I was just telling a friend that I am having a chat with somebody and chats are my jam. So I'm glad to be part of this uh, authentic authenticity experiment. Um, so uh, just super brief, a little bit about me. Um, I am a, um, I am a mid forties woman, <laughs> woman in my mid forties, uh, who, like you said, I'm, you know, still trying to figure out who I want to be when I grow up. Um, I am a graduate student on track to, uh, become a, a clinical mental health counselor or a licensed professional counselor here in Arizona. Um, I'm a mother of three grown sons and a grandmother to a, a a, a granddaughter who's going to be three in August and uh, two bonus granddaughters from that same, that same little family there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I think we'll, we'll get into a little bit more about me as, as the conversation rolls on, but that's me in a nutshell. That doesn't even do her justice, just so y'all know. <laughs> um, so I always have people kind of start by telling me how they define authenticity and, and what does that mean? What does that word mean to you? Okay. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, the traditional definition is, you know, not counterfeit, genuine, um, original, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what it means for me, I think is now looking at myself in all my stages of life and, uh, you know, by stages, I could mean yesterday, um, but uh, living who I am in those moments. Um, you know, I, I've heard folks talk about being authentic because they had societal pressures put on them to um, not be who they are outward to the rest of, you know, the planet. Um, but for me, I think it's looking at myself and saying, um, in each phase of my life, I was living authentic because that's all I knew about me at that time. So I think that's what uh, authenticity means to me. So today, the information that I have, the connections that I have, 
um, the uh, experiences I've lived makes me authentically me now. In a month or two from now, that may all change. So for me, it's 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 really that um, I have been um, extremely privileged to where I have not had any uh, pressures, outside pressures, making me um, try to be who they want me to be, you know? So, um, as far as like, uh, you know, my sexual orientation and how I identify and all of those things, I can say I've been extremely privileged to not have those pressures put on me. Um, but, uh, but there have been times where all I knew was being as covered up, um, uh, embarrassed of who I really was. And that was me being authentically embarrassed of who I was, if that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, what's cool about like, when we look at how we define this, everybody's definition tends to be a little different. Everybody's interpretation is a little bit different. And we all have different ways that we're able to express who we are um, in the different facets of our identity. Right. And that's why we're having these conversations because like we don't talk about these things enough. We don't talk about the moments in our life that make us us enough. Right. And um, being able to identify those things and pivot and change and find the places where I had to learn about who I am as a person um, so that other people can maybe understand the things that make them who they are because I think that we live in a world right now that's very lost yeah absolutely absolutely um I think that you know social media has given people license to say this is authentically me like it or not I'm putting it out there um and then that opens up the floodgates right for everybody to start you know fighting with each other on social media and not respecting each other's, you know, values or belief systems. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, folks are saying, this is who I am and I'm not going to be quieted. So, um, you know, I, I can absolutely appreciate that, but I think that, um, especially in today as, um, you know, as, as divided, charged up, angry as we are in the U S today, I think that uh, we're seeing a lot of that folks saying that I I won't be quieted anymore, you know? So, um, yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for like using some of that collective trauma and that collective anger to, to finally be able to stand up and say like, this isn't right. Like making us fit inside these boxes because it makes you more comfortable is not okay. Right. Right. And, and, you know, for, for us as women, especially like our collective voices have always been devalued until they're needed for whatever is coming along. And then all of a sudden now we're important. Now mm-hmm. what we do makes sense. Right. And, um, it, it's just really interesting to watch how people are used saying things in forums that they would never say to somebody's face. Yes. But they're behind a screen and they can do that. Or people that have never felt empowered to say things that are now feeling empowered in positive ways to say things about who they are and, and to have a voice. So it's this weird dichotomy, double-edged sword thing that I think happens a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that today. And, you know, I, um, I have been reading things, especially with this, you know, important decision that happened yesterday. I'm seeing a lot of folks just coming out and just blasting one side or the other. And, um, you know, I, I, again, you know, I think social media gives folks this um, platform to just be like, this is what I believe and what I think. But what happens on the, on the back end is like, you know, reading some comments and going like, oh my gosh, I never thought that person would ever say that or ever believe that. So then that's forcing me to see their authentic self, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, just recently, you know, I'll share with you, I, I went with, uh, um, I 
had a personal struggle. I lost my father back in October. Um, you know, he was, uh, he would have been a hundred had he lived for another 17 days. So that was really cool to be able to, you know, to, to have him for as long as we did, but, um, it, it caused a riff, uh, with some family ties and, um, you know, the household that I grew up in was super religious, super religious. And so, you know, being able to say at, um, you know, a, a, a young ish age, I don't want to have anything to do with what I'm being taught. Um, whether you like it or not, I'm not going to do that. And, and being my authentic self, this is how I feel. This is what I believe. Um, and having another family member who's saying like, I don't care what you believe or don't believe this is what I believe. Um, and, and watching that kind of come to it, to, um, this place of, of evolving, um, having that same family member talk to me yesterday and say, what the hell is happening? Like, why, why was this decision made? I don't understand it. And that being a person I never, ever thought would have that reaction to the Roe v. Wade, you know, being overturned. Um, and so watching, like I said, this person who has always been authentically her throughout my entire life, and then watching her shift into this person who's saying, I see how this is going to impact women. What is going on? Um, that's not who I would have said she was, you know, who she was. I would have said, this is a person who would have been like, yay, victory for what we believe in, you know, but, but not at all the case. So I think with, um, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, um, uh, red or blue or, you know, who you vote for or, uh, pro-choice pro-life watching folks actually go out there and for positive or negative, just being who they are. Um, it is, uh, it is electrifying and terrifying <laughs> at the same time. So, you know, um, I think, uh, it, it'll, it, it, life is just very interesting right now. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and we'll see where we'll, we'll see where we go, but yeah. What are some moments for you that have kind of started to, that, that looking back, you can see are very pivotal in defining who you are and the different facets of your identity and where you feel like they've kind of pulled you more and more into this evolution of who you are today? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the, the very first one that I can think back to was, um, you know, it was 25 years old. Um, I was divorced, uh, twice with, um, with little kiddos, um, three at the time and thinking, you know, this job is not going anywhere. I probably need to, to go get a college education. So going into my undergrad, there was a, um, you know, I, I was able to select some classes and one of those classes was religions of the world. And I picked this class because I had no understanding of any other religion other than the one that I was brought up in and having my mind open to all of these different ways that people, um, praise, worship, love, um, treat each other, um, you know, value their community, um, and, uh, you know, place, uh, emphasis on, um, women or men or children and just watching how the world lived completely different from the way I was being raised. I think that helped me to open my mind to maybe there is a different way. So up until that point, I was living authentically based on what I knew, mm -hmm. um, until my mind was just blown by that class. And I think that opened me up to going like, that way that I was raised isn't the only way. There are a million other ways. How cool is that? So that really opened me up to, if that's how closed-minded I was about religion, what else have I been closed-minded to? Um, so I think that was one of the, the, the biggest ones in my life. Then going, you know, fast-forwarding um, some years, um, you know, I, uh, I actually... Um, 
got sober seven years ago and, uh, and, and seeing that life could be completely different from what I thought it was. Um, and again, I was authentically living in my, um, in my drinking world. Um, that was me being me with all I knew about me with all I knew about, um, you know, what alcohol did for me. Um, and then to have this kind of, um, revelation of like, I did not know that life could be any different. Um, that opened me up to somebody who really wanted to know about why I made the decisions I made, why I felt about myself the way I felt, um, why I thought the way I thought about my outside world, you know, that kind of thing. So I think um, those two those two moments in my life were the, were the biggest for me. It's interesting when we are able to take that step back and widen our worldview and, and looking at things from the perspective of others and, and bringing in that idea of, oh, this isn't the only path. And the only reason I think it's the only path is because it's the only one that was ever on the map that I was given perfectly said. I think that's exactly it. You know, um, if, if I only know how to get to the store down that street and somebody says, do you know, it's quicker, faster, safer down this street. And then I go, how come no one ever showed me that? That's in, it's so exciting. I'm going to start mm -hmm. taking that route now. And that I think is how, um, I felt in those two moments of, you know, um, having a, a a group of, of sober people showing me this is how we stay sober. And so um, in, in, in that way that we stay sober, there's so many other little, um, uh, um, not little, there's so many other amazing revelations in how life can be lived differently, how your perspective on life can change, um, you know, but, but you have to have that genuine willingness to say, all right, let me see what, you know, what I can uncover here. Let me see what I can um, find out about myself and let me see what I can change, you know? So absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was given, I was given this, uh, the map stayed the same, but all of these different routes opened up to me. It, it was, it was super cool. So it's like the, I, I like it. It's like the Harry Potter's Marauders map. Like yeah. when you open it up and then all of a sudden it appears when you say the right words and it's like, Oh, look at all of this really cool stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, we'll have to have another chat after I, uh, finish the series. I'm barely on the second book. I've <sighs> never read Harry Potter. I've never seen the movies. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm getting into that world right now. So it's kind of cool. It's, uh, you know, but yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's finding out all of these things. And again, I mean, it's just like, that's a funny example too, of like, um, yeah, that kind of stuff isn't for me. And then someone turns me on to it and I'm going like, oh my God, this is so cool. How come I've never listened to this, watched this, read this, you know? So, and then completely thoroughly enjoying myself, but it wasn't until somebody said, Hey, why don't you check this out? Let me, let me show you something. So, yeah. I always feel that way. Like there's a lot of really mainstream stuff that I have just kind of passed by. It's never been my jam. And people are like, oh my gosh, this is such an amazing movie, blah, 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 blah. And then when I finally get around to watching it, it's, you know, years later and it's been parodied or it's been copied. And I'm like, I don't get what the big deal is. <laughs> Because I've also missed the context of what made it a big deal. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, like the matrix. I didn't watch the matrix until years after it had been put out and, you know, I got made fun of unmercilessly for it. And then I watched it. I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, <laughs> it's not, it's not my thing. Right. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's me. Always late to the party. Always late to the party. So, and, and look, I maintain that if something is that great, it could stand on its own and not just rely on nostalgia to keep it great. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and then I get, I get a lot of pushback on that because people who love their nostalgia don't understand why you don't like what they like. And I'm like, but I just don't, you know, yeah, that's, that's perfectly okay. And some things that you don't like now you might like in 30 years, who knows? So, right. <laughs> and I, I'm at that place though, where I've stopped 
pretending that I like things that other people like yes. just because other people like them. Well, see, and that's exactly what I was saying earlier was like, you know, back in the day, um, you know, I could have friend groups from every walk of life. You know, I could, you know, hang out with friends who, you know, kind of had that biker feel and I could hang out with friends who kind of had that, you know, country feel and I could hang out with friends who, um, you know, um, were into, you know, let's say heavy metal, hard rock, whatever. Um, and I kind of fit everywhere I went and looking back on, you know, that and, and still being that same kind of person, like I like to, um, show up and just really, um, not necessarily fit in, but, but experience what I'm experiencing in that moment without saying like, this isn't for me. And no, I won't have anything to do with those people or those kind of, um, you know, music or whatever, whatever you want to, you know, put anything X there, you know? Um, but looking back now and saying to myself, you know, my twenties and thirties and going like it, um, I could call myself a poser or I could say, I was just loving every minute of being wherever I was at the time. And that's, that's actually the truth of it. The truth of it is, is that I, I, at any place, um, whether it was, you know, a bar or a backyard barbecue, I enjoy being where I am because I'm learning about this different group of people. And again, I think that all comes back to that moment in, in my undergrad in, in that religions of the world class going like, you know, if it could be true for religion, what else could it be true for, you know? So, um, so now I just kind of look at it as like, uh, kind of like the when in Rome, if you will, you know, and, and, and I get, you know, I, I one of my sons says, you know, he, he'll start to talk about somebody who has an imposing view from him. And I go, well, what if, and he's like, don't do that. I hate when you do that. Don't give me the, what if they're wrong. I'm right. You know? And, and, um, and, and that's, that can be, that can be a, a double-edged sword, you know, because I could sit in a room with somebody and listen to them talk about something that absolutely is, is turning my stomach. But I say they obviously have some kind of, um, dog in that fight. Let me hear them out. Let me hear what they have to say. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to condone. I mean, who the hell am I to condone anybody, you know, but I, I can sit and I can listen um, and just be there in that moment, learning from whatever it is that they're saying. And, and it, it's, it's easier with some folks than it is with others, but um, you know, but, but I think that that to me, helps me to continue to build on my authenticity, you know, so. And that's one of the things that, you know, we, we kind of learn as we walk through becoming counselors, therapists, mental health professionals, is that we have to be okay with taking somebody else's perspective and their filter that they're pulling all the information through and validating them in that moment and the way that they feel but also helping them challenge some of the thoughts and beliefs that have led them to that moment in order to make sure that it is a genuine belief, a genuine value that they hold. And it's not us to decide if it's genuine for them or not. We're just there to help them better understand where their stuff is coming from. Absolutely. And it was pointed out to me by a, a friend who is, you know, also in the mental health field. And, um, you know, she says that you can, you, you know, yes, this is helping you for your clinical practice later, but, you know, not in a friend scenario, you get to have an opinion, you get to have a, you know, a say so. Um, but, but again, I think it's learning, um, when it's being asked and when I'm just challenging a friend because I'm not there yet. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not in clinical practice, you know, mm -hmm. um, but with friends sitting and listening to them, even when I have an opposing view and just saying, I want to know how they got there, you know, as opposed to saying, how can I, how can I, um, 
work some magic and try to get them to see a different way of living. Cause that's not my, that's not my jam in that moment. In that moment, it's not, it's not to challenge them. It's just to just sit there and be with them, you know? And, but there again, I have to be true to who I am. And if those kind of experiences or those kind of relationships drain me, then they're just a, they're just a no-go for me. You know, I, I can love you, but I'm going to love you from afar. <laughs> so and I, I'm working on uh, an episode of this where I just talk about it's, it'll be just me, which is always weird. I always feel like I'm screaming into the void, but <laughs> talking about authentic boundaries and how do we know how to set them and when is it appropriate and, you know, how to be okay with, with telling other people that this is my boundary and like you're, you crossing it is not okay with me. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that that's something that most people struggle with, especially when it's somebody that you care about or somebody that you've built connection with and having to have that step back and be like, you are no longer healthy and safe for me in this capacity. So I have to move you into another capacity in order to keep myself safe. Absolutely. And then that, that questions uh, that, you know, calls to question the, you know, letting someone else live authentically. I have friends who Um, vote differently than I do, who, you know, have different belief systems than I do. And to say to them, you know, I'll be your friend, but let's not talk about this, 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 or this. um, And then we can be happy together. Those are my boundaries. I have to ask myself, how much of that is me saying, I want to be in your life and I want you to be in my life, but only if you don't talk about the things that make you, you. Um, and that's where I have to draw this line of, um, do I only want you to be my friend when you're agreeing with me or when we cannot talk about things that we don't agree about? Um, because if that's the case, then I'm not letting you be who you are, you know? Um, so, uh, but on the flip, you know, being respectful and having conversations and even debating things, um, you know, when, when I'm being who I am and they're being who they are, um, without bullying the other to say, if you want this friendship, you have to cut, close your mouth or you have to believe the way I believe. So yeah, it's, uh, it can get pretty tricky. I, you know, and I start by just telling people like there are certain words that I just, they're hot buttons for me. And if you're going to be respectful of me as a person, these are the words that I would prefer you not use in my presence. Sure. If you use them outside of that, cool, that's on you. Yeah. But in my presence, these are words that I don't tolerate being utilized. Absolutely. And if that, and if that boundary is too much for you to, to want to, to practice with me, then that's fine. It just means that I'm no longer going to voluntarily spend time with you because you can't respect this boundary that I've set. You can believe what you want. You can say what you want when I'm not around, but when I'm around there, there's certain words that I'm like, can we just please not use those words? Yeah. I'm I'm not real big on any kind of slur on any level. Like, can we find better ways to describe people? You know, and there yeah. are people that I recognize don't know that certain words are slurs. Mm-hmm. So at first I do the education of, well, do you know what you're actually saying when you say that? Right. And they're like, no. And then I tell them, and they're like, oh, I never knew that. My bad. Not going to use it anymore. Right. Yeah. But like over time, if it becomes this constant pattern, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I just yes. don't want to be around that. It feels ugly to me. And I don't want to be around ugly people Absolutely. whose language reflects ugliness. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, words, absolutely. It's a, um, you know, I had, uh, some, some folks that grew up calling me their aunt, you know, no blood relation whatsoever, but they knew that there was a word that they used that I absolutely didn't like. And so they kind of turned it into a joke, like, well, guess we can't say that around her. I guess we can't say that around her until I finally got to the place of like, yeah. And you know what? I don't want to stop you from being you. And if you love flinging that word around, then I'm just not going to show up for the next party because I don't like hearing that word flung around. So I'll just stay over here and you stay over there and we're good to go. But <laughs> call me if you actually need anything ever. I'll, I'll be around if you need anything ever. But so, right. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting just 
you know, the things that we learn as we evolve and we listen to people mm. and we hear them talk about how language impacts and, and how it, it can create this, this underlying river of shame in people, mm. the more we've normalized certain language. And I'm, I'm one of those people that like, when I'm hanging out with my girlfriends, like, don't, don't refer to me as one of your bitches. Like, yeah. I'm not that person. Like, yeah. I'm a grown woman. And no, <laughs> like, can we not? Because yeah. for me, it's that idea that, you know, I, I don't, that word isn't powerful to me anymore. Because I worked in juvenile residential for five years and in the prison system for five years. I've been called mm. that word a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. It has no power over me at this point, because it's just so mysterious overused in, in a lot of cases. But for me, I'm like, if you're my friend, why are you going to call me a derogatory name? Right. Other people, like you want to fling it around at other people, that's cool. I'm good. Yeah. But please don't include me in that. Sure. Because to me, it doesn't feel like that's something that I would say about somebody I care about. Mm -hmm. And in my world, I feel like it perpetuates that passive aggressive mean girl culture mm -hmm. of, you know, slight digs here and there mm -hmm. and for some folks are like nope it's just my it's just the way that I express caring and love for my people and I'm like that's great for you but I it's not it doesn't fit for me yeah that's a great uh, call out the the um sarcasm is another one you know like I used to love to be the most sarcastic person in the room um until I realized that you know I think I don't I don't know if someone told me to look up the definition of sarcasm or whatever it was, but I realized it. And I was like, you know what, that is what I'm doing. I'm using something I think is funny to belittle you or to make you look stupid. Um, and I get, a, I get a high out of that, out of people going like, oh my God, burn, look at what she did. Ha ha. She got you, you know? And, um, and then at some point realizing like, wow, I don't know how many people actually walked away from interactions with me, not thinking, thinking I was funny or witty, but thinking I was hurtful. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think um, maybe, maybe just before I got sober, but really the point got driven home when I, when I was sober, looking back at um, who I was and how I treated people and going like, that's what I needed at that time. And it's so unfortunate that, you know, the people's feelings that were just left in the wake of my sarcasm. Um, but that's authentically who I was. I needed you to laugh at my joke so I could feel good about myself. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I love that woman I used to be. And I, and I feel for her because that's the only thing she knew at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but now I look at it and I say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sarcastic with, with the people around me, with my loved ones, um, you know, teasing and joking each other about, you know, um, a really shitty move in a card game. Okay. Um, but if I have to, you know, to make biting comments towards you um, so that I can get all the attention in the room, that's, that's just not who I am today. And I, and I don't want to be around people who do that to me or to others, you know, anymore. It's just, that is absolutely not something that I get down with, so. And it's interesting how, when people hold up the mirror to us, like I continue to get the mirror held up for me. And I, I talked about this in a previous episode by my six-year-old. Mm -hmm. Like there are times when she says things and does things that are like my inflection, my tone, my words, my everything. <laughs> And sometimes they're great. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, she's listening. She's paying attention. And this is like, oh my God, she's listening and paying attention. Okay, <laughs> right. can't do that anymore. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Right? Cause we're, we're on this kick right now where like, we don't call people stupid. Mm. We call situations stupid mm. if we don't like them or they don't make sense, but we don't call people stupid because that's not nice, right. especially not another child who doesn't necessarily have the education or the background or the, the knowledge, right? The mm -hmm. quote unquote common sense that is not common. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't call other children that because that's not acceptable, right? right? They just don't have all the information they need. So yeah. situations can be stupid, but people can't be stupid. And like, 
having that conversation and that dynamic with a six-year-old has been really interesting because you have to bring the concepts down to this base level. And you know, the, why is that hurtful? Well, because this person can't control what information they've been given and not given, but you can definitely be angry at a situation and think that it's dumb that that situation is happening and that it doesn't make sense to you. Yeah. And like, it, it helps me further break things down and better understand a how to explain them and b like where does this come from like what are some of the reasons why this has even become commonplace for our society and that idea that you know we want to call people out for things that they're doing that might not be the most intelligent I have to remember that that person's not operating from the same set of information that I am yep absolutely Yep. <laughs> and sometimes they're not operating from the same set of information about themselves that I have. Right. Right. That Johari's window thing where we can see people in ways that they don't see themselves. Yeah. Yeah. A, a friend of mine had told me, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that in relationships where we are, we get to see how other people see us, you know, and, and that's, that's worked in, um, you know, in beneficial ways and then also hurtful, very revealing ways. You know, when, when I say something and, and, and somebody says like, you know, you could be really mean sometimes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not what I, it's not at all what I meant or, you know, or how dare you say something like that about me? Um, and then on the flip side, having someone say, don't you know how beautiful you are? Don't you see how amazing you are? Don't you see how valuable you are? no, how do you see that? You know, tell me more (laughs) because, you know, because at times we don't see the ugly or the beauty in ourselves. So, you know, I I think we need those experiences, both positive and negative to, um, to add to our authenticity. I, you know, I just love that. I, I love this conversation about, um, you know, being authentic and, and, and how do we get there? You know, anyone can say, I live my life and I just do what I do. And I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. Um, that's cool. (laughs) But how did you get there? You know, how did you get there? What, what, what led you there? So these are great conversations. I'm glad you started this podcast. Well, it's interesting. Like the people that make that big declaration of, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm like, but you clearly care what I think about you because you're making that statement. <laughs> right. Right. And it's this idea that, you know what, we as human beings are built to be connected to other human beings. Mm-hmm. But what we fail to understand is, is that we don't have to be connected to all human beings. Right. And that the ones that we choose to be connected to, we get to nurture those relationships and those connections in ways that allow us to be authentic, to have people tell us about ourselves, good, bad, and different, right? Yes. Um, and to understand that just because I might have a bad moment doesn't mean that makes me a terrible human being. Yes. Right? Like the good and the bad all kind of go together. Like I used to weaponize my truth. Mm-hmm. Like I just, well, I'm just being honest, mm-hmm. right? But I'd be mean. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's a way to be honest and truthful without wounding other people in the process. And it yeah. became a weird dance that I had to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's still people today, like living, coming from the Midwest and now living in the Southwest, there are people that still think I'm super mean, even though I'm just really direct mm. and very prescriptive. I'm very direct. I don't do niceties. I don't do small talk. I'm just this is what's up and this Mm -hmm. is what I need, or this is what I need you to do, or this is where I'm at. And I don't fluff it up with anything else. And so people are like, wow, you're just really kind of hardcore. And I'm like, well, (laughs) no, I just, I don't have time for all those extra words that you need to feel better about what I'm asking of you. Yeah. Like, I'm just asking you, I'm telling you what I need and I'm not confusing it and I'm not diluting it. I'm telling you, this is what is happening in this moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can accept it or not. Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't know what your thought is on, you know, like that imposter syndrome, but I, I can look back at myself and say, like, I was this no nonsense, no BS, just take it or leave it kind of chick. And then I look back at myself 
you know, prior to getting sober, um, you know, in my grade school days and my high school days, which I didn't have very many of, <laughs> um, you know, in, in early motherhood in you know, in certain relationships or whatever, and go like, no, that's not really who I was because there was no way that I could sit and ask somebody, I need this of you. Are you able to give it to me? Instead, I would try to manipulate and try to get from you what I needed from you. Um, I would use you in ways that were, you know, emotionally beneficial to me, but super painful to you. Um, all of those things. And so looking back on it now, and I was like, I was not this just no nonsense, take it or leave it. This is who I am kind of girl ever. I was always somebody looking for, um, you know, looking to, to, um, I guess, kind of have someone tell me that, you know, you're okay, you're good, you're okay, you belong kind of thing, right? Um, but still trying to trying to be present to the best of my abilities. And sometimes th that was very lacking, you know? And so now I look at it and when I walk away from, um, from a conversation with somebody and, and they'll text and say, thank you so much for, you know, being who you are, I'm like, do they really know who I am? Or like, where, where's that coming from? Because that imposter syndrome creeps up and it's just like, am I really that, that, that person that they think I am? Um, it, it doesn't take too long to get out of that and say, yes, because I showed up for them in a genuine way. I showed up for them to nurture the connection that I have with them. So yes, their, their takeaway from our interaction is true. I don't have to question that longer than the 30 seconds that that imposter syndrome pops its head up and says, are you really that lady? You know, like, why does she think that of you? Or why does he feel that way about you? You know, so I equate imposter syndrome to this irrational belief structure that we have bought into, um, especially in America, that I call the conveyor belt. Okay. And it's this idea that we are supposed to meet certain milestones at certain times, or we are behind, or we are ahead, right? And this idea that if we don't get on that conveyor belt and stay on that conveyor belt that goes, you know, school, academics, end high school, college, or go to work, like, or emotional maturity, whatever it is, mm -hmm. for those of us that have taken detours in our, you know, mm -hmm. life choices and have gone down the path less traveled or the more difficult, you know, side road, you know, we all decided, some of us decided to take the scenic route um, <laughs> to get where we're at, but the conveyor belt, and we, we look at people who stayed on that conveyor belt and, and met with that societal expectation of this is what you do, this is where you're at, this is what happens, boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. When we look at them and we mark ourselves by them, we feel like imposters because we're at the same place, but mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't go the same route. So therefore we quote unquote, shouldn't be at the same place as those people. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have, um, seen how that impacts people, um, who believe I should be, you know, married and have children and the white picket fence by this age. So they'll just take whoever and pop out these kids and then just be like, oh my gosh, who am I married to? Why am I married? You know, um, or this is the religious beliefs that I grew up with. And so I have to follow this um, doctrine. And then they do that and realize I am so unhappy. I don't know what to do with myself, you know, um, and, and it's, and it's hard to, to, um, to watch someone experience that. And, uh, in, you know, and in friendships, because again, I'm not there clinically, but in friendships and want to say, oh, you know, how has that belief system impacted the way you feel about yourself and how much of that is contributing to your, whatever your drinking, your addiction, your, um, you know, uh, infidelities, your whatever, you know, um, but some friends I have that kind of, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I've been given that permission. So I'm able to say, you know, have you thought about maybe how this impacted you? How, when you jumped off the conveyor belt and you skipped that route that everybody else took, or you stayed on that conveyor belt, how that, how that is impacting you today, you know? 
Uh, and I certainly didn't do anything traditionally. I had my first child at 15, um, you know, and I wasn't this, you know, kick-ass single mom who raised a kid as a teenager. My mom raised him, you know? So when people tried to pat me on the back and say, look at you, you've been this amazing single mom since you were 15. Like, no, I, you know, that's not who I am. I, you know, I relented and my mom raised my oldest son. Um, and then, uh, you know, to, to say like, oh, look at you kicked ass and you're this, you know, divorcee with, you know, two boys and you did it on your own. And it's like, no, I can own up to the fact that, you know, I, I contributed a lot to those divorces and I contributed a lot to the situations that I was in. And didn't go, you know, got my GED and uh, went to college at, you know, 25. And um, I took those harder scenic routes. Um, and all of that builds up to the experience that I get to live today, you know, and say, um, you know, but I'm not going to take that, I'm not going to take that badge that, you know, or that pat on the back that people could give me um, for any of those um, struggles in my life. Um, I have to be honest about, you know, what it really was. So, yeah. <laughs> but also taking that moment to say in those moments, I had autonomy over my choices mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. In some ways it was, I had to pick between two things that were terrible mm -hmm. and I had to pick the thing that was the least terrible at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of folks that stay on that conveyor belt don't understand those choices they think that it's as, as simple as just do this just go this direction and it's like that's not life has so much more nuance to it and it has so many more layers and decisions are not as simple as this or that black or white you no. know it just it just doesn't look like that no you know and then i i remind folks like the average american changes their career path three times not just a job, their career path. And, you know, I work with a lot of very young adults who are making the transition out of college into real adulting. And they're having that quarter life crisis that people want to be like, well, that's not real. And I'm like, but it very much is. Absolutely. Because we've extended childhood to 22, mm -hmm. if not more for a lot of our youth. And they don't know how to exist in the world where they have to pay all their bills. Yeah. Or they can't be irresponsible on the weekend and like make really massive mistakes because everything will be fine by Monday. Right. They, they don't know how to do that. And they're, they're living in a world that increasingly tells them that they have to have not just this degree, but now years of experience. Yes. At the same time. And like, how do you focus on your studies while you're trying to build work history? Like those things, those things are hard. Absolutely. And we've got a, a group of, we have a, a group of young adults right now who are growing up where the reality is, is that most of them have lost a parent mm. to addiction mm -hmm. or both parents, or they've been raised by other family members yes. or in a system and they've never been given enough guidance to figure out who they are as people yeah, because they're constantly living in the shadow of these other labels that are thrown on them. Right. And it's just fascinating to me to watch them navigate and the resilience that people have. And, and, you know, having a kid as a teenager and the resilience it takes to say, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's resilience to me to know yourself well enough to say, I am not equipped Mm. to be a parent in this moment mm -hmm. maybe and, someday but not today <laughs> sure and you know and I think I think like you said I mean life all life is really boils down to choices you know it's the ad lib it's you know what word are you going to put here what choose your own adventure what door are you going to take you right. know um and so really starting to understand that there there are motivators behind every, you know, I'll take door A or door B, um, you know, and for me at 15 years old, it, it really, it wasn't this, um, oh my gosh, what have I done? I don't think I could do this. I'm a child. Like I will let someone else, right. It was, you know, having this belief that like, um, you know, well, I could do it if they let me do it, but since they're not going to let me do it, then I'm going to do my thing. Um, when really, you know, 90% of that was, 
I want to still be a child. I still want to do what dumb 16 year olds are doing. And I want to run around and, you know, I want to, you know, uh, do all the things I'm not supposed to be doing. And, um, and a baby gets in the way of that, you know, and, uh, you know, luckily my son was always taken care of and had, you know, a, a roof over his head and food in his stomach and clothes on his back, you know, but, but today he's now 30, you know? And so today we get to have these really cool conversations about all of that, you know, what I was going through at that time and the things that I want him to know, I take responsibility for and, um, and all of those things. And, and, and it's a beautiful relationship that we have today, you know, but there again, can I take credit for being this amazing, resilient 15 year old? No, I was a dumb 15 year old who said, okay, well, if she's going to take them, then I guess I can go party with my friends, you know? And how did that impact that little guy? Because he did, he grew up with, you know, with a grandparent um, and with other supportive, um, you know, adults in his life, but he didn't grow up with that traditional or even what today can kind of be considered traditional to teenage parents. Um, he didn't have that. So, you know, I, I look back and I say in the decisions that I've made, I had no idea that there were these underlying things that I could cop to now and say, I decided that because I wanted to be selfish. I decided that because I wanted to be responsible. Um, you know, but, but that only comes from, um, from really doing that soul searching, you know, and whether it's sobriety or, you know, some kind of spiritual epiphany or finding a religious path or whatever it is, I think that's where we, um, we get to have those or having someone come into your life and showing you a different way to see the world. It could be something as simple as that, you know, um, uh, that's where I can, I can say, um, yeah, let me look back at some of those things and really, um, pay attention to what needs to be paid attention to and address things that need to be addressed. Um, and it's cool that you said that the average American changes their careers three times in a lifetime, because, uh, you know, I, I started off with my undergrad going into accounting because I wanted to be an IRS auditor of all things. <laughs> I thought if I could just take this award-winning personality of mine and put a really fun spin on you getting audited by the IRS. How great would that be? And then I met an IRS auditor who was a professor of mine. And he's like, if that's what you want to do, this is the wrong job for you. <laughs> and, 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 and I took his, I, I took his advice and I said, well, if that's not really what I'm going to be able to do, then I don't want to do that. I don't want to be somebody who comes in with, um, you know, certain IRS agency, certain IRS, um, uh, positions, allow and somewhat require you to carry a weapon because of all your death threats. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that says, okay, you messed up. Let's see where you messed up and how can we unravel this? And he's like, nope, <laughs> go find another, <laughs> go find another career. So I said, okay, then I'll stick in, stick to the career that I'm in, which is, you know, um, healthcare insurance administration, I'm not a salesperson. I'm behind the scenes in the contracts in the weeds of how insurance companies pay doctors and hospitals. Right. Okay, so maybe I'll go get an MBA. Um, nope, you know, I'm, I'm chugging along, I'm doing that. I've been doing it for 25 years. And I went to lunch with a friend who also worked at the same company I did two years ago. And I said, how's, how's Medicare sales going for you? He said, I hate it. And I said, oh my gosh, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna find another job? He said, no, do you know our company pays up to $12,000 a year for a master's degree? So I'm gonna go get my uh, clinical mental health counseling degree. <gasps> I was like, holy crud, they pay for that. And here I am, you know, I'm going into my third year at, you know, Grand Canyon University to get a mental health counseling degree, you know, so, and I, I can't wait. I am so excited. Um, you know, I, I do homework and I daydream about my future clients and, you know, and all those aha moments, hopefully that will happen. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and just thinking to myself, I know that there have been people in my life that have even said the, the tiniest little things and have made such an impact. And I can absolutely give them credit for being the person who said the tiniest little thing, but it really was the fact that that message was conveyed to me at a time that I was open to hear that tiny little message. Maybe it took 10 years to put that message into action, 
But if I could, if I could help to be the carrier of that message for, for a client, how friggin' cool is that? You know? So yeah, th- that's number three now. So, and, and that won't happen till, you know, I think, uh, I'll be what 48 by the time I actually get into, into, um, practice. So, um, you know, it's never, ever too late <laughs> for that third or that fourth or what have you. So, you know, and I got these kiddos that, well, they're not kiddos anymore. These are grown men. My 27 year old son, we were talking yesterday and he said, you know, I, I daydream of going to Spain and living in Spain. And I go, what is stopping you? You don't, you're not in a, you know, a, a relationship and whether or not you were, but you're, you're not in a relationship. You don't have any children go sell whatever you own, get on a plane, go, <laughs> you know, what is life? If it's, if it's just working to pay your bills, to be miserable, wanting to live a life, or is it to jump on a plane and go make just enough money to put food in your stomach and to get you to the next place that you're going while you're living the way you want to live and, you know, wherever it is that you want to live, go. So I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, that those, that my sons get that kind of uh, answer for me and not like, no, 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 no. You get a job, you stay in that job, you retire from that job. You, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's cool that they get to have that kind of support that just says, I support you jump on a plane, go and, and how cool. Cause then I'll get to visit you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, um, my, my kiddo, when, when you ask her, cause you know, we're always putting this pressure on kids to think about the future and what do you want to be when you grow up? And her answer the last year or so has been, I want to be a tattoo artist. Cool. And I'm like, sweet baby girl, you do you. She's like, but I don't want any tattoos myself. And I'm like, good. Okay. Like you can make those choices. And then she's like, and I want to be a scientist and I want to be a cheetah. And yes. I want to be, a, I'm like, you can do all of those things, my darling, whatever Absolutely. you want to be, you can do a little bit here and then a little bit next and a little bit over here and then all these things. And, and, you know, I, I, I know that there's a lot of parents who are like, oh my gosh, why would you encourage that? And I'm like, She's why sick. not? <laughs> she's dreaming big. She wants, you know, she's knowing who she is as a person right now. Mm. And, you know, I was told a lot growing up that I should not go into the profession that I wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be a stage actor pretty mm. much my entire childhood. I got a scholarship to college to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was told all the time that I should just go be a doctor you're so smart. Go be a doctor. You love to argue, go be a lawyer. Like, don't, don't go down this path because you'll never make any money. And I'm like, well, there's more to life than making money. Right. Right. And then I did radio for eight years and all I heard was you're never going to make any money. Mm. And I'm like, maybe not, but I I really kind of like what I'm doing. It's kind of cool. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to have another job on the side, but like it worked. Yeah. And then weird life circumstances picked me up and plopped me down into working with other people and helping kids and, you know, navigating this weird path. And like, it's been almost 20 years in behavioral health for me wow. in a variety of settings. And I started at the very bottom, you know, working in direct care, minimal degree, like just working. And, and helping in the day-to-day and, and being the safe person for a bunch of teenagers who were in care. Yeah. You know, they had no safe people and I was a safe adult for five years. I feel like that was my job title was the safe adult. Yeah. And even though through part of that time, I wasn't a very safe adult mm-hmm. because in my personal life, I wasn't making the best choices. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it's evolved and it's become this thing where it's like, you know, for me, when I get up and I get to go to work every day that I go to work and I get to sit with people in the worst moments of their life, right? The worst things that they've experienced. Cause I specialize in a lot of really dark things. Mm. Um, and I sit with people in that pain and I sit with them in their darkness for me, as taxing as that can be some days, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I love that. I love that. I think like, that's the, you know, that's the feeling that, like you said, even though in your, you know, 
personal life. You weren't a safe adult, but you were there in that moment for that child or that adolescent or that teenager to say, I will be safe for you right here, right now, as opposed to like, oh, you're dabbling in drugs. Why don't you come with me? I'll get off work at five and, you know, come and hang out, smoke some pot and drink with me. You know, you were that safe adult that could, that they could share those things with. That is that, that to me is, you know, I think that's, um, that's absolutely goal, you know, and, and, um, how, how I show up for folks, even in my personal life, you know, now, um, can I be a a safe, non-judgmental friend to you, sister, mother, can I do that? Can I challenge myself to just be here and listen to what it is that you need, um, from, you know, any interaction that, that you're having with me. So, um, I love that. I love that beyond the highest honor. I feel like when, I mean, professionally, yes, people come in and I can become their safe space. But like when I have people in my personal life who come to me and, and people that don't even necessarily know me, Mm -hmm. right. They know me peripherally or parasocially or like weird connections. And they identify me as their safe space. Like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that to me is something that is so like empowering and at the same time, very humbling. Yeah. Right. And, and to, I take it very seriously. And, and it's that those types of moments that make me go, okay, what is it about me that makes me safe? What is about me that feels safe? And how do I continue to manifest that? Yes. For everybody that I come into contact with. Yes. That's, that's exactly it. You know, I, um, last year, this time I was going to Alaska to visit a a friend who lived there and, uh, I'm on a plane next to this woman and I'm reading this book, um, that was suggested to me, um, for, for a job. And, uh, and I said, it. I made a reference to, uh, the movie sleepless in Seattle to her, you know, about Meg Ryan's on a plane and she turns to the person sitting next to her and says, you know, uh, the person sitting next to her says to her, um, oh my gosh, I hate flying. And she goes, I know I just told a big one before I got on this plane. And she said, I said, flying (laughs) Meg Ryan thought she had said lying. (laughs) So I make this comment to this woman and that started a conversation from Phoenix to Seattle. We talked nonstop and she asked me, you know, what does your tattoo mean? And I told her it's, you know, it's has to do with, you know, being sober and, um, you know, what book are you reading? And you know, we got off the plane and we exchanged numbers and, um, you know, we, we've gone to lunch and I, you know, built this friendship with her, not knowing a thing about her, except she was sitting next to me on a plane, you know? And, uh, so we were walking, you know, we got off the plane and we went our separate ways. And about 20, 30 minutes later, um, she sends me a a text message and, um, she says, you know, kind of like the book that you're reading. I think that you are, um, a lightning bug and she, you know, put this little bug and the little light bulb emoticons or what have you. And, and I thought that's who I, that's who I am, you know? So when that ugly voice pops out and says, no, you're not, you're a fake. I go, no, that's who I am because that's the kind of connection that I make with people and that I want to, um, continue to make with people, whether it's person on plane or somebody I met at a party or, um, somebody I meet professionally, or, you know, just a friend who's happened, happened to go be going through a tough time in their life, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you my final question. And this is the one that, that some people are like, yeah, this is a great question. And other people hate me for asking it. (laughs) Okay. Um, what are two things that you love about who you are today? Oh, well, um, let's see two things that I love about, um, I think most importantly, the connections that I get to make because of the person I am today that's huge for me. Um, you know, whether it's a new connection or solidifying and, and really building upon an existing connection. Um, I think the person that I am today, um, just contributes to that. Um, uh, the other is, I guess the person I am today can 
can sit quietly and, uh, and not damage, um, not cause damage to someone else when they're talking about something that I don't agree with. Um, that, that has to contribute to, um, to those connections. Um, but I think the person I am today was not that person eight years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, you know, again, that person was looking for what can I get out of this interaction as opposed to how can I show up for this interaction? So I think those two things are, are the best things about what, you know, who I am today. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and, and having this conversation with me. Like I, I mean, time always flies when I do these things <laughs> because I, I love having these deeper, more meaningful conversations with folks that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm just super grateful that you were willing to, to come and share yourself with the people that are choosing to listen and, and hopefully, you know, we can start having these conversations on a larger scale with people um, in our world outside of who we know, just being more willing to have and foster these more authentic connections, even if they're just for a moment in time. Absolutely. Thanks for opening this, uh, this um, platform for folks to do that. So, and thanks for putting that call to action out. I'm, I'm so grateful that I said, I'll chat. And you said, cool, come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, let's do this. So I'm thank on you. it. I yeah. appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of the Authenticity Experiment. Everything you need to know will be linked in the show notes, especially how to get in touch with our guests from today if you are interested in finding ways to connect with them more and ways to connect with me if you are interested in having this conversation yourself. I appreciate all of you who have taken the time to support this project and I will see you down the road.